Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our Connections Director, Jen Lewis, for this week's message. Well, I think this is week 12 of our deep dive into Mark, and we finally are getting to some parables. I, um, I, I know we've talked about already the idea that Jesus's teachings were a priority to him. It said, if you remember back in Mark chapter 1, verse 38, he had said, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. And so when we get a chance to look at these parables, we're going to learn what is important to Jesus, what was important for him to tell us. What we know is that Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins, but another reason he came was to show the world who he was and who God was and what God was like. And so Jesus did that not only by his actions, but by also teaching and specifically using parables. I heard recently that parables are are kind of like um, the pictures that go along with an instruction manual that will, um, you know, show us how to put together furniture or something like that, that these parables help illustrate something, but that you also need the explanation of the instruction manual to go with the pictures um, in the instructions. And so what we'll see as we look at parables is that they do give us some clarification, but they aren't a complete picture for us, that we need explanation. And for some of us who's, who've grown up in the church, that might seem, you know, kind of odd to us because we've had years of hearing the parables and then hearing the explanations that go to the parables. And we also, all of us, whether we've been in church or not, have hindsight as 2020 to look back on these parables and anyone who knows kind of the basic story of Jesus and the basic story of the Bible, we can look at those parables with more of a complete picture. But what we have to remember when we look at Jesus and how he's teaching his disciples is that the people listening to him at that moment didn't have all that that they were hearing these stories for the first time. And sometimes it was a bit confusing. And so we're going to look at the first parable that he talks about in Mark. We're going to be in Mark chapter 4. So if you want to go there, you can. We're going to look at verse 1 through 20. It says, Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake. While all the people were along the shore at the water's edge, he taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still, other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears, let him hear. Now, that was the end of the parable. If you read, read on, and we will here in a minute, that was all that the people got. 
And what is interesting to kind of note and look at is the fact that Jesus gave his listeners an opportunity to decide what they were going to do with this incomplete information. And he knew it was incomplete to them because he used that phrase, whoever has ears, let them hear, which we're going to talk about that phrase in a minute. But what's important for us to see here is that people had a choice. They were put in a position where they could decide, what am I going to do with this story that Jesus told me that I don't quite understand, not really sure what I'm going to do with what am I going to do with that? Am I going to just go on with my life, brush it off, not think about it anymore? Or am I going to dig deeper? Am I going to come back and listen more to what Jesus has to say? Am I I going to ask him maybe what does all that mean? And what we see happens next is that's exactly what the disciples do. They come to Jesus at a time when the crowds aren't all around and they ask for clarification. It says in verse 10, When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. See, when the disciples didn't understand, they went to the person who could help them understand. They went to Jesus to ask him, what? We don't get it. They dug deeper to understand more. And I think that's worth us taking note of, that there are going to be times when we don't get it, when we don't understand something that God is teaching us or showing us. And that what we should follow the lead of the disciples. We should really do what they did and we should pursue God and ask him, help me understand, help me get it. And what we see about the disciples is that because they knew him well, they felt comfortable asking for that. The more we know God, the more we spend time with him, the more we're able to go to him to further understand what we might not understand. We position ourselves in a place where we can grow deeper, not only in our relationship with him, but also in our understanding. So Jesus responds in verse 11. It says, he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Now, this section of scripture I find to be difficult. You know, when we, we look at this and we, we think it, it, it's showing that Jesus is saying that the parables are not necessarily helping people understand. They're actually kind of drawing a line between those who do understand and those who don't understand. That, that, it's, it's not that the parables are making it easier, it's actually making it harder for some. And I think for, for us who consider God this loving God who pursues people, that's hard to hear. And that's not something that we should necessarily gloss over. You see, the truth of the gospel, the, the teachings of Christ land in hearts that are receptive, that, that have good soil, as we'll see. And these hearts are made that way by the Spirit of God. We can't deny the fact that the the God of the universe pursues people first, that it is by his Spirit that people come to know him. But this is hard for us to get. You know, it's, it's, it's hard, but at the same time, it has this ability to make us think, wow, why me? I mean, I, why you? Why do we understand and there are people who don't understand? You know, in some cases, it's that the people aren't ready yet. 
the, the soil of their heart hasn't been prepared yet and they aren't ready to have that understanding. For some people, they never will according to, to scripture. And, and that's hard, but we know we see this. We, we see this all around us. We see it in the stories of scripture and we see it also in the people we know. I mean, for those of you who grew up in the church, you can think about in your mind, people who went to Sunday school with you or who went to youth group with you, who, you know, they did the obligation of the family, they came to church, but ultimately they didn't choose to follow Jesus. All of us have family members or friends who, you know, may just, seem like they have absolutely no desire to know anything about spiritual things. We see this in our own lives. And what's interesting is that it, it causes us to do two things. To one, to say, okay, God, is that okay? And two, to say, thank you, God. Like, why me? Why am I the one who understood out of all those kids in youth group? Why am I the one in my class or in my workplace who seems to get it? You know, the, even the phrase we use, that someone came to Christ, that's not even really an accurate a phrase. God draws us to himself. In, in John 6, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them. Now, this can cause us to, to doubt God a little bit. Like we can think, oh my, like what, what's going on there? But I, what I want us to remember before we get into a place that's kind of going to send us into doubting or anything like that is that scripture tells us that God loves the world, that he loved the world so much that he sent his only begotten son to die and to rise again for our sakes it also says that God desires that all should come to know him. In 2 Peter 3.9, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You know, when we look around, we've got to remember, we're not going to get it all. We have these finite minds that were created by a being who is bigger than us, who sees things far better than we do. And, and, and as much as we may want to question God on certain things, we have to trust two things about him. One, that he is wise and that he is good. He is wise enough to create this whole universe that, that is positioned in such a way that, that life can be teeming all around us. And he's good He's good enough that he loves us so much that he made a way for us to come to know him, that he desires that all would come to know him. And so when you read that scripture, don't get too hung up on it. Remember that God has a bigger plan, that he knows people's hearts, and that in our finite minds, we don't necessarily know what's going on inside of someone's heart. We don't know what the rest of their story is going to be and what's going to happen right before they die in their last breath. We don't know where they are in the process but we trust God in his wisdom and in his love. So Jesus goes on and he says, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? But what's important when we hear Jesus say that is that he is just engaging in the process with the disciples, that they're coming to him, that even when the Holy Spirit is drawing us, there are times where we are gonna need explanation. We are gonna need help. And so the disciples pursue God for that. So Jesus explains the parable in verse 14. It says, the farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. 
Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Now, I think when we read this, we instinctively think of ourselves as the seeds in the soil. We think about um, and evaluate kind of um, how are we doing? Are we receptive? Are, we, are there rocks and are there weeds and are there, is there hard soil in my life that's causing me to not receive what God has for me um, to the best that I could? And I think we should look at that scripture that way. I think that's good, uh, one good way of kind of interpreting this section that we should be looking at. Are the cares and concerns in my life are they taking priority over the truth of what God says? Are money and success and earthly desires kind of winning for my attention and all my thinking and the way I act? You know, ultimately, we do need to and should be evaluating how is the truth of God embedding itself in our hearts? And are we moving in a direction that helps us to grow, that helps us to weed out the things that might... Um, cause us to stumble or to, to, to stunt our growth. I um, just today actually finished my uh, read the Bible in a year plan. I don't know about you, but very rare. I don't think ever I finished the Bible in a year. I started last January and I got it done before April. So that's pretty good. But I, I got done today. And um, what I found is, is I don't give up. I just, you know, if I stop for a while or I get to another devotional, I'll pick it back up. And I would encourage you, if you're in that process and you're like, oh, I got stuck in Leviticus or I got stuck in Jeremiah, keep going. But anyway, I, I just finished, but recently I was reading the section of scriptures which are called the epistles. And it's the part right after uh, the book of Acts. So it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, which tells the story of Jesus and then the early church. And then after that is a whole bunch of letters from different fathers of the faith encouraging the early church. Well, what you see when you look at the epistles is that over and over again, the different authors are encouraging early Christians to live out their faith well, that we are supposed to evaluate kind of our hearts and, and our lives and, and the soil of our hearts. Um, in, in one section, it says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then in three of the epistles, we're, to, we're told to live lives that are worthy of the gospel. In Ephesians, it says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. In Philippians, it says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a, in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then in Colossians, it says, live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. So in order to do that, we have got to look at our own hearts. We've got to look at how we're growing, how we're re receptive to what God is bringing forth in us um, through different teachings and, and through different things we're learning. We also see in 2 Peter, Peter says four times the phrase, make every effort. He says, make every effort to add to your faith. Make every effort to confirm your calling. Make every effort to remember these things. Make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with 
with him. So this, if you, you see all these and you read, there's no denying when you read those letters that we are supposed to be actively evaluating our lives and thinking about how we are living out. We don't just kind of zone out and go through life. We evaluate, we make every effort. We live in a manner worthy of the calling we've received. And so we're supposed to do that. We're supposed to look at that scripture and, and kind of evaluate, okay, how are we doing? How receptive am I? And all the while remembering that ultimately it is us cooperating with the Holy Spirit. We can't do it on our own. It is, it is a cooperation that, that, that we have between the Holy Spirit and us to grow the saplings into, um, into a bigger plant, into something that grows into a strong, viable vine or tree or whatever we are in, in, in our kind of spiritual sense. It depends on us in that it, it depends on us kind of pulling out the rocks and the weeds that we see, but also the Holy Spirit comes in and he will point out rocks and, and he'll maybe have a, a drenching rain come that will soften some of the soil. It's such a wonderful um, cooperation between the two. And, and the Holy Spirit is doing that not only with us, but he's doing that with people all around us who may or may not know God yet. And so I think we should, when we read that scripture, we should definitely use it as an opportunity to continue to evaluate our lives, to continue to remember, am I making every effort? Am I living a life worthy? But at some point, when we read this parable, we have got to change our mind from the idea of us being the soil and into the mind of us being the farmer. Because if we are followers of Jesus, the seed has been planted we now have a different role. And as much as the New Testament tells us over and over and over again to live a life worthy and to make every effort and to live well for Christ, it also says over and over and over again that we are to share the gospel with others, that we are to sow seeds, that we are to be the farmers who will eventually, hopefully, reap, help God reap the harvest. You know, when Jesus was initially telling the story, he was the farmer in the story. And he used it to help his disciples understand how the people around them were either receiving his word or not receiving his word. But it's transferred a bit. Now we, the church, are called to be the ones who are sowing the seed. We are the ones who are supposed to be tossing it out to the world. And it starts with us living differently. It, it starts back at, at us being good um, soil in our own lives. It starts with us looking different than the world around us. I have to be honest with you, we've got to. At this point in our culture, if we don't look different than the world, we've really got to ask ourselves, what are, are we really living out our faith? You know, when my grandparents were growing up, and even to some extent when my parents were growing up, most people in our culture followed kind of the, the, the biblical norms uh, that, we, that we follow. But now in today's society, that's not necessarily the case. And we are called to be different. We will look different because the culture is not lining itself up with what we know are biblical values and biblical truths. And so we as believers need to make sure that we're watching only the things we really should be watching, that we're, um, we're taking part in things that are healthy and are good and, and that God would, would smile upon. 
Um, we are to treat others with dignity and with gentleness and respect. And we're, we're, to, we're to be quick to serve others and, and, and to kind of put our selfish agendas aside and, and put others ahead of us. We're, we're to be quick to listen, but also wise and discerning in what we agree with and in what we align ourselves to. But living out our faith, honestly, that's the start of the process, but it's not technically the sowing of the seed. Eventually, we have to speak. If the seed is the word of God, we have to speak. You know, as kind as you are every day to your mailman or, or as nice as you are to the checkout lady at Kroger's every single time you see her, that's all good. And you are extending God's grace and his love into the world as you do that. You are being a witness as you do that, as you live differently. But they don't know why you're nice unless you speak. Your friends don't know why you have a hope unless you talk about it. We've got to actually throw seeds. We have to actually speak. Now, being kind and living differently can potentially soften the soil of the hearts of people around us, but it's not sowing the seed. You know, just recently, um, Julie was telling the staff about a story that, that happened to her. She, um, she went to the dry cleaners. She was picking up, uh, I don't know, just like a shirt or something. She says she doesn't go there very often. So she didn't know the lady, but she walked in and she, she got her shirt. And, and as they're kind of making the exchange um, of the shirt and the money and all that kind of thing. They got to talking about just this whole year and how unsettling it's been and, and how uncertain these times are. And the lady didn't know Julie. Julie didn't know the lady. But the lady stopped and she looked at Julie and she talked about, she just took that moment and she talked about how Jesus was her hope in these uncertain times, that she had found hope and peace in Jesus. And Julie said, you know, it wasn't like she just continued to go on about the gospel. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't this big, long conversation. And, and it just so happened, you know, that Julie knows that hope and she knows that peace. And so they ended up having kind of a bonding moment. But, but that lady was sowing seed. She, she was just throwing it out there, not knowing where it would land or, or what the state of Julie's heart was. You know, if you think about this story of, of, the, of the, the farmer he was throwing the seed everywhere. Whether, it, whether the ground looked good or not, he was throwing the seed. And we can look around us and we can think, oh, that coworker, they're never gonna know Jesus. <laughs> you can think that, but you still throw the seed because you don't know what God, God is doing there. You don't know what he's going to do with that seed. Now, that doesn't mean that you trap people in a corner at a party and you tell them the, the gospel story from beginning to end. It's not that you, that you corner people at the office and you tell them that they need Jesus and, and you know, it, it, it becomes this thing where people are just going to avoid you at every moment. But you've got to speak at some point. It could be offering to pray for someone. It could be sharing about how God did something in your own life during a similar season than the season your, your friend is going through. It could be inviting them to church or to youth group. It could be gently but respectfully kind of voicing your Christian perspective on an issue that you're discussing in, in class or at work. All of those things are ways that you can throw it out. You can sow the seed. I'm listening to this book right now on, um, on my 
I've got Hoopla, which is this library app thing where you can listen to books for free. Anyway, there's a book called Tactics, and it's about sharing your faith effectively. And he's, you know, this guy who wrote this book, he's an apologist. He has all, knows our, all the arguments and all the stuff, and he could explain the gospel, you know, with his hands tied and his eyes closed and, and everything. But he talks about how we're not all going to be harvesters. Like we're not always going to going to be leading people to Christ all the way through to the point where we're going to sit down with them and pray the salvation prayer with them. But he said, our goal is to constantly be gardening, to constantly be sowing the seed. He said, it, it's it, what he likes to call it is putting a stone in people's shoe. He said, give them something to think about. Give them something that draws their attention back to what you talk about. So that when they walk away from that conversation, their attention, their thoughts are still drawn to the thing you said, that they've got a stone in their shoe. So it doesn't mean you have to have it all lined up and and have this prepackaged presentation. It just means that you look for opportunities to put a thought in their mind. To, put, to pose a question that they may never have thought about before, to cause them to stop and to think about Jesus. I have these uh, mom friends that I walk with all the time in the evenings. I got this little cul-de-sac. It's like this natural lap thing that we have. And so we just walk and we talk and whatever. Well, right now there are cinders all over the place in the cul-de-sac. And it's okay if you get one cinder in your shoe, like you can keep going. But the more you walk on those cinders, the more cinders you get in your shoe and eventually you have to stop and shake out the cinders. You've got to give attention to the stones in your shoe. And if we, as a body of Christ, if we are continually sowing out seeds, if we're continually putting stones in people's shoes, they're gonna get more and more stones in their shoes and eventually they're gonna have to do something about it. They're going to have to draw attention enough to deal with what that has done to them. So when we think about this this parable and and Jesus's explanation of the parable, how do we apply it? I mean, after thinking about all that we've just talked about, what do we need to do leaving today or, or turning off the computer screen today? What do we need to do? Well, I think our first response, honestly, is to be grateful like to be in a place where we are so thankful for the fact that God made us curious, that he gave us eyes and ears. And, you know, it's not because we're clever. It's not because we're spiritually smart and unique. Out of the billions of people in the world, he chose you and he chose me. And I don't know why, but I think it's worth taking some time today to just say thank you. Thank you for giving me eyes to see and ears to hear. I think the second response is to pray. We need to pray for the people around us. We need to pray for our coworkers. We need to pray for our friends, our family members, the the people at the gas pump next to us, the the, the person in, in front of us at the grocery store. We just need to be praying because what we know is that the Holy Spirit is the one who draws people to Jesus that as clever as we are and as persuasive as our questions and our arguments may be, ultimately, if the Holy Spirit is not at work, nothing is going to happen. Nothing is going to grow. And so we pray. We pray for the people in our lives. I heard a story recently about a a guy who, um, like a professor, a theology professor, and he was training future pastors on how to preach. 
And he took them one day into a cemetery. And he said, okay, I want you to each take your turn and I want you to give your best gospel presentation. And they all kind of are looking at each other like, this is odd. And so they stand up and each one at a time, they give their gospel message. And then he stands up in front of them at the end and he says, this is how it is to preach a sermon without the Holy Spirit. Dead men stay dead. We have got to pray for the people we want to sow seed among. We've got to pray for them because it is through the Spirit that they will come to know him. I think the third response is that we have to live out our faith. We have to do the things that are written in the New Testament epistles about how to actually live out our faith. We have got to live differently. If your faith doesn't mean anything to you, it's not going to mean anything to anybody else. If it's not impacting your own life, it's not going to impact the lives of the people around you. If you are not living in some kind of tension between what our faith calls us to and to what the world is calling us to, we really need to go back and ask God, okay, you need to look at the soil in my heart. Where are the rocks? Where are the weeds? What's going on? Because I'm not in a good place. We've got to live differently. We have to live in such a way that it would make sense that we would talk about God. In the book Tactics, so Greg Kokel is the name of the guy who wrote the book Tactics, if you're interested in the book. But anyway, he says there's three skills we need to have to effectively sow seed. He said, first, you have to have the basic knowledge of the gospel. And you're going to get that as you come to church more and more. And as you read your Bibles, you'll have kind of that basic knowledge of Jesus came, we're sinners. He died to, you know, to take our place, to forgive us of our sins and to rise again. You know, all that you will, you will get the more you come to church, the more you read scripture. Second thing that he says we need is we need to have wisdom on when and how to share that knowledge. And so that wisdom is gonna come as we listen to the Holy Spirit, as we pray for the people around us and we keep our eyes open to those opportunities. But then the third thing that he says we have to have is we have to have character needed to be heard. He says, finally, our character can make or break our mission. Knowledge and wisdom are packaged in a person. If that person does not embody the virtues of the sovereign she serves, she will undermine her message and handicap her efforts. We've got to live a life worthy of the calling. Because when we do, people will see that. And so that when we speak, it will matter. Now, we're going to mess up. There are times where we're not going to be perfect and we're not going to be able to hide it all the time. You know, there are going to be coworkers and friends and especially family members who will be like, oh yeah, Christian, how'd you do with that? But if we keep going, if we keep moving toward the Lord, if we are humble about the process and we show them what it means to repent and ask for forgiveness, they will watch that we are continually striving to walk better, that we are um, able to have hope and to have forgiveness, and to continue to move on and not live in a place of regret. And that will speak volumes. And then the last response I would say, kind of the final application for today, would be that we have got to share our faith with words. We have to actually speak the word, which is the seed in this parable. We have to actually bring it forth and offer it up to some soil somewhere. You know, I was thinking about it. When we have a close relationship with someone in our lives, we naturally talk about them. You know, my husband, I talk about my husband all the time. I hope you 
I hope you positively talk about your spouse, but people you, you have in your life who you care for, who you love, who you experience life with, you talk about them with other people because you share about what you did over the weekend with them or you share about something funny that they said or something great you experienced together or meaningful words that, that they shared with you. It just naturally kind of comes out of you. And, and that's the same way it can be with God. You know, if you are having a a relationship with God, you will see him do things. You will hear him speak to you in ways. You will will see him at work and you can share those things. I I mean, I share those things with the moms I walk with, with, with friends and family. I'll say, you know, oh yeah, I prayed about this. And then do you know what happened? Or, I mean, I asked God for wisdom on this one because it was tough. And then I thought this and, and it worked out. You know, there are ways where we can, just bring him into the conversation without it being awkward or strange. And then there will be opportunities where it can be more cut and dry, where can I pray for you? Can I specifically explain something or maybe ask a question in a way that would, that would help them? Um, Greg Kokel, one last quote from him today. He said, I encourage you to consider the strategy I use when God opens a door of opportunity for me. I pray quickly for wisdom, then ask myself, what one thing can I say in this circumstance? What one question can I ask? What single idea can I offer that will get the other person thinking? And then I simply try to put a stone in the person's shoe. You don't have to bury the seed. You don't have to necessarily water it or check on the sapling. You just got to throw it out there. Now, he may have you come back and do some watering or some weeding or whatever, or he may use somebody else, or he, by the power of the Holy Spirit, God may just grow that person up by himself. You are responsible to sow the seed. Now, I have a very specific way that you can do this this week. Next week is Easter. Invite someone to church. This is a perfect time to to sow a seed in a very natural um, and verbal way. Invite them to church, specifically on Easter. We share the gospel in a way that we hope would be very understandable to people who are coming and hearing for the first time. So what I would challenge you to do is is ask God, pray, ask him, who do you want me to invite? Who do you want me to throw seed out to this week? And think about your coworkers and your friends. And, and maybe you just, you know, you, you share the Facebook feed over and over again on Sunday morning. Or maybe you invite someone or you tag someone. Or, or maybe you invite them over to brunch at your house and you guys watch it together. Or maybe you make arrangements to come to the building because we are going to have live services. But figure out a way where you can this week invite someone to Easter. You know, as hard as this year has been, I am convinced that God will use the year we've just had to put stones in people's shoes. People are tired, they're frustrated, they're scared, they're grieving. And many of them are in a place where the soil of their heart is soft and ready for the seed that could be sown. You know, I have, a, well, I have several favorite scriptures. I don't know if you can really have just one. But one of my all-time favorite sections of scriptures is, is Romans 10. It's the section where it says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Love that. But what I love even more is the part that comes down from that a little bit. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? 
And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. God will always be giving people ears to hear around us. But they have to hear something. And what the scriptures say is that you are sent, I am sent to sow the seed, to preach to those who need to hear it. You look around at the world just like I do, and you know that people are desperate for God's love, for his hope, for his truth. So if there's any question as to whether you are sent, don't question it anymore. You are sent. And I don't care if you have athlete's foot or you think you have the ugliest feet on earth. This scripture says that you can have beautiful feet when you bring the good news. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you, Lord God, that you long for all to come to know you. And I thank you that you are at work all around us. And so I pray, Father God, that you would help us to cooperate with you in whatever way that means. If we need to personally just get right with you in ways that we have been neglecting, Father, I pray that you would help us to pull out rocks, to pull out thorny weeds around us, and that, Lord, that we would follow you like never before. And for those of us who um, have been quiet, I pray that you would help us to have words to say, that you would help us, Lord, to, to speak out the fact that you love people and that you are real and you are among us. And Father, for those of us who've just been spouting off without prayer, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to pray, to, to look back to, okay, God, you're leading, not my brute force. You're leading. Father, have your way in our lives that you would be glorified and that there would be a harvest a hundred times fold. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.